0: You're reading this morning is from Luke chapter six, second half of verses twenty one and verse and twenty five. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh and twenty five. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep The Word of the Lord.
1: As we gather into worship and as we engage once more in Scripture and uh, this series that we have entitled Leaning In, what we've seen in the earlier part of this series so far is that in Luke 6, Jesus uh, goes up on a mountainside, and there on the mountain, he spends time in prayer with the Father. He communes with his Father before he moves forward. As he moves forward, what we find him doing is calling all his disciples to him. And then after doing that, he chooses 12 of them in particular to be his apostles. And as we have seen, being his apostles means he's going to send them out to serve his purposes. These are his kingdom ambassadors, we might call them. Now, after doing that, Jesus sits down to teach his disciples in the context of the crowds about the nature and character of his kingdom. What qualities will kind of be embodied by his kingdom people. And in acting his teaching, Jesus sits down, assumes the posture of a rabbi or teacher. And as I've said before, it would be the reverse of what we usually do, where I stand and you sit. Usually uh, the teacher in Jesus's day would sit and everybody else would stand. You're probably glad we've reversed that over the time. Jesus gathering his, te- his disciples, sitting down and teaching them, now opens his mouth And basically declares the official proclamation of the way life is inside and outside the reign of God. These aren't suggestions so much in terms of how to be happy or warnings lest one become miserable. But they're blessings and woes that are words of Jesus and are to be heard with the assurance that these are God's word to us. And that God's word is not empty Rather, there's life to be found in these words and we are to enter into that life and grow in that life as we adopt these words in the way of God's kingdom for us. Here, Jesus is setting up the new people of God, the new Israel, so to speak, with his 12 apostles, and he's drawing them into leadership with the objective of enabling their relationship with him to mature them in such a way that they will go out and live as his disciples in the world. But in order for them and in order for us to receive the blessings that Jesus is extending here, we have to repent. A Greek word, metanoia, which simply means a complete change of mind. In other words, these words will not make sense to us if we just look at them on their face value or if we compare them with our own cultural reality. They seem so foreign to us. But when we look at them in light of the kingdom of God and through the lens of God's kingdom and God's reversal of the present values and state of society and culture, we see that here, Jesus is inviting us into a different way of life and that each beatitude is a preview of what life will be like in the great reversal of God's kingdom and there and in that way we can find great encouragement and so in in that context we hear these words of Jesus where he says blessed are you who weep now for you will laugh. Blessed as elsewhere in the New Testament refers to the spiritual joy that one receives from sharing in the salvation of the kingdom. The blessing is in the life that God has for us in the future that is impending upon and prevailing upon our present reality. If you look at Matthew's gospel and his Beatitudes, what's interesting here is in the first two Beatitudes... Matthew has Jesus saying, blessed are the poor in spirit. He he adds a spiritual reality to Jesus' words. Or blessed are those who hunger, not just physically, but hunger and thirst for righteousness. But in Matthew's words, it's the same as Luke's. Blessed are those who mourn. He's speaking to people who are in grief. And that grief can be the, the losses that we face in life. The loss of a marriage to divorce, the loss of a loved one in their, their passing, the loss of a job, the, the loss of other forms of security or identity that we find. But first and foremost, what Jesus is speaking to here is the blessing for those who mourn is not first about, though it can include those losses that we face when we mourn something that we, we lose in life or that changes but the first point of blessing and mourning that Jesus is commending here is our mourning or our weeping or our grieving over sin. It's, it's that state where we recognize the sinful reality of the culture around us, the sinfulness of the people of God. So when Jesus says, blessed are those who weep now for you will laugh, he's basically saying it, the blessing comes to those who recognize their sinfulness and their utter need for a savior. And that one day those who recognize their brokenness and invulnerability come before God and acknowledge that one day we're gonna, we're gonna be freed of that weariness and that grief of our sin when we're fully caught up in the salvation that comes with the kingdom of God. You see, we all have losses that we've we faced in life, and those losses have impacted us deeply. But the first loss is our, our innocence, our, our own right relatedness with God that we've lost because of our sinfulness. And that's both personally, but it's also corporately. So we find in scripture those who who wrestle with their own personal losses and, and how their lives, their actions may have contributed to those or not. For instance, Job is a, an amazing book in the Bible that wrestles with personal grief and, and how losses aren't always equated with specific acts of things we've done. Sometimes God allows losses in life to shape us and mold us in his mysterious purposes. But there's also books of the Bible that, that commend our grieving over our corporate sinfulness as the people of God. For instance, Nehemiah. Nehemiah is is in exile in Babylon. He hears about the state of Jerusalem, that the walls are broken down and the temple's been destroyed. And Nehemiah, Nehemiah 1, just has this lament, and and it's a corporate lament. It's it's basically saying, I and my people have contributed to the fallen state of of your people, of, of humanity. We have walked away from you. We have not lived by your commands. And Nehemiah's cry is both personal but it's drawing in the community of God, saying we're, we're in this together and that we've, like it says in Romans 3.23, we've all fallen short of the glory of God. None of us is, is, is immune to this. None of us, uh, you know, it has it all right and somebody else has it all wrong. And in the sadness of what I see in our culture today, we as the people of God, uh, two things are happening. We can be throwing stones at those outside of, of God's kingdom, those who don't yet know God. And we criticize the sinfulness of of the people that don't believe. But we're also attacking one another at times over Facebook and other places. Where there's division within the people of God, and we're we're attacking one another and and arguing with one another over differences politically or how we've responded to COVID and mass and and vaccines and all of it. And if you want to get your at your pastors, you have two pastors, and you wanna, I'm gonna say, if you want to get at our core, and our the deepest grief that I may feel right now. It's when I watch two people within our church at each other over Facebook. And I have cried tears, and I have stayed up at night over this stuff, church. And I also recognize that I've contributed to it. In times when I haven't just, you know, stayed with somebody as long with who has a different opinion or perspective, maybe we have a different viewpoint on what ministry should look like in this confusing age. And 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 I haven't loved as well as I should or as long as I should. We've all contributed to that in some way or another. At our Presbytery meeting this last week that Pastor Greg and I and two of our ruling elders participated in, the common uh, connection was a corporate lament by pastors and church leaders over the state of our church and churches. No church has been immune from the challenges of COVID, the losses of members and staff. It has been an incredibly difficult season. And I would say what we did most through that time together was just cry out to God and lament all that has occurred. The losses that have taken place and shaped and impacted our community in their various states. And one of the ways that I think we might not grow through this experience or work through this experience is if we create an us versus them mentality and we we attack those outside of God's kingdom versus evaluating we who are in God's kingdom and part of the people of God, how, how we have contributed to all this. One of the best examples of what this might look like comes from uh Donald Miller's book, Blue Like Jazz, and this is an older book now and, and an analogy or story that uh that you know some have heard, but it still holds true in a powerful way. Uh, Donald Miller was serving as a campus pastor in Portland, Oregon. And the particular school that he served as a chaplain had a festival. And this festival was basically uh, an opportunity to celebrate every form of debauchery imaginable. And the campus and college just sort of said, go for it for a weekend. Anything goes. We're not holding people accountable. And you can kind of do whatever you want and the campus christian organization that miller was a part of was getting together before this fair and wrestling with well how do what do we do during this you know how do we how do we reflect our, our 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 faith and how do we point to christ in the midst of all this and somebody said well we should come up with a we should build a campus confessional booth campus confessional booth somebody said that's the stupidest idea i've ever heard like these people are, are drinking, having sex, doing all this stuff. Like they're not going to want to come to our booth and confess their sins. It's not going to work. And the person said, no, that's not what I'm talking about. Well, what are you talking about? No, we're going to create a booth where people can come and we can confess our sins to them. How we as the church have fallen short in our witness to Jesus. How we fought. We've aligned ourselves politically more than we have with God's kingdom. And whether we're Republican or Democrat has defined us more than whether we're a follower of Jesus. And we're going to confess that during the Crusades, we blew it. We just got it wrong as the church. And we're going to confess that during other seasons in, in history, the church of Jesus Christ did not stand up for what is right or did not love longing you know, in, in a long-standing, persevering way. And they ended up holding and having this booth and people actually came. (laughs) And they actually listened to Christ followers confess their corporate sins and some were impacted, nudged toward the kingdom of God as a result. When Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn for they will laugh. He's saying, blessed are those who recognize their sinfulness and need for a Savior. Blessed are those who recognize that the coming King that was spoken of in Isaiah 61 had come in the person of Jesus. And he had really good news for the poor and the disenfranchised. He had good news for the brokenhearted, grief-stricken people for whom he had planned a a day of redemption, a day of restoration. And I'm going to say this isn't one 24 hour day this is a day that was initiated in Christ's first coming and a day that has been increasingly unfolding throughout time and one day will be fulfilled in all its glory when Christ comes again but for now we live into the blessing of the kingdom of God when we weep and grieve over the state of humanity when we weep and grieve over the sinfulness of Christ's bride the church. Because he wants us to be without stain or wrinkle. And ultimately, Christ is the one who does that work. But we live into that work whenever we repent and turn away from our sinfulness and turn back to him and receive his forgiveness. So whether it's in you know the, that corporate recognition of sin and not recognizing that, not recognizing our own contribution to that, or whether it is in our own experiences of grief and loss, know that not everybody grows through those experiences. Not everybody comes to that recognition and not everybody comes to a place of acceptance of our own losses and griefs in such a way that we might grow. And those are the people that Jesus speaks to when he says, Woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. In other words, if we stay in a place where it's like, I'm okay, I got it together. You know, life is good and I don't need to recognize or repent of my sinfulness. There might be a laughter in in life that ultimately there's going to be a a reckoning. Because if we don't recognize our sinfulness and we just kind of laugh our way through life, Jesus says, those are ones who will ultimately mourn and weep. In other words, there might be people that find themselves outside of God's kingdom. The amazing reversal of God's kingdom is the entry point is, is recognizing our brokenness, not our perfect perfection. And sometimes in in our culture, I think there's this you know uh, way that we think you know our our righteousness, our goodness is again gonna get us into God's kingdom. When when Jesus is reversing those values, and he's saying it's not about self righteousness; it's about recognition of your brokenness and then your need for forgiveness. Sadly, the laughter here for that those uh, of those who Jesus is warning may be about laughing at another's expense. Or at their misfortune. It may be laughing because you're in an okay place. And in comparison with other people, you're doing pretty good. It is clearly the laughter at times of those who are comfortable in their wealth, or well-fed now. So they think that they are somehow immune to the sufferings or challenges of life. But then something comes that, you know, a, an experience of grief or loss or transition or change in life, and it literally knocks us off course. Because such forms of, of grief, such as the loss of a marriage or a job or a loved one, there are times when and, and none of us can be prepared fully for some of those types of losses. And they literally knock us off our foundation. You see, what we find here is that when we make anything else, any one person, any one possession, any one other state or sense of identity, when we make that our foundation, ultimately it will not stand up when life's challenges come. And we can see that in this Sermon on the Plain, because where Jesus is imparting these words, he's ultimately leading to the story of the house that was built on the rock versus the house that was built on the sand. And what he says is, when your house is built on the sand, when you have a shaky foundation, when the storms of life come, it, it's going to be knocked over. You're not, it's not going to be able to stand up. So what he's saying in imparting these words is make me and the values of my kingdom your foundation and then when the stress and strain and trials and tribulations of life come you'll be able to stand up because you have a way of life and you have one who has imparted that way of life but has also lived that life perfectly in Jesus who is your foundation. And when the storms of loss and grief and trials come You'll be able to stand the strain because you're standing in Him. There are various ways that we can get knocked off course and and it can experience the the woe of of missing out on growing through experiences of of grief and loss. And I want to list some of those here uh, just to kind of process them together a little bit. Some of the detours in our journey in, in, through suffering to a, to a place of, you know, moving from mourning and loss to a place of growth and, and fullness in God's kingdom include having a, a, a linear view of grief. And what I mean by this is sometimes we think that, that the process of grief is just going to go from one to the other, and, and the, each of these stages are ones that we get through, and, and once we've gotten through the shock of grief, we're over that, and then once we, we get into the anger of it, we go through that for a, a, a stage, and, and, and then we're over that, and then we, we get into a place of maybe depression, and then we start bargaining with God, and then we just come to a place of acceptance, and that place of acceptance is a settled reality. Well, I don't know about you, but my experience of grief when my daughter Kylie died in 2004 uh, did not follow that kind of linear progression. And some of you know that I wrote about this in my doctoral dissertation. What I find more is that we go through seasons in, in, our, in, our, in the process of, of working through our grief and loss. And that it's not just one stage after another in this linear progression. Often it's two steps forward and then one step back. Sometimes, that, sometimes I, I, I still wrestle with the shock of certain experiences of grief and loss. Or something happens that it triggers my anger that that occurred. Or I can, I can be in a a state of depression over the state of the church and how things are going. And sometimes I cycle back into that. Growth, moving from that, the weeping and mourning to a place of, of laughter and joy isn't so much, okay, I got through that, that stage and now I'm in this stage. It's more reflected in when we cycle back through those things, we don't get stuck there or we don't stay there as long. So, in other words, I might feel anger, uh, over somebody, something that somebody said that was hurtful to me, um, you know, and I I might have really felt that at the time. Well, when I remember that incident, I'm likely to feel some anger again resurface. The growth comes and the, the moving in this process comes through not getting stuck there. And not allowing that anger to become bitterness. And that bitterness to become a desire for revenge somehow. The growth comes through. Okay, I feel that anger, but I can kind of capture that in light of the reality that God has forgiven me for for so much. And in God forgiving me for all that he's forgiven me for in recognition of my own sinfulness, then I can forgive somebody else. Because I recognize that the reality is we're all in the same place and we're all at the same point of need for God's forgiveness and freeing. Growing through grief, moving from a place of mourning and weeping now to, to laughter and joy later comes through a process where we go through various cycles, but we move to a place of ultimately acceptance, maturity, and growth. But it isn't a settled experience. C.S. Lewis once said in his book, A Grief Observed, in responding to a linear view of processing grief, wrote, It's an admirable program or idea, but unfortunately it can't be carried out. Tonight all the hells of young grief have opened again. The mad words, the bitter resentment, the fluttering in the stomach, the nightmare, unreality, the wallowed-in tears, for in grief, he says, nothing stays put. One keeps on emerging from a phase, but it always recurs. Round and round, everything repeats. Am I going in circles, or dare I hope I am on a spiral? Upwards versus down? See, the hope and the, the movement here and the experience of God's blessing is in a process, not where we're, where, you know, go through linear and we're, we've moved through this and we, we've reached this stage in a settled way. The m- movement and the blessing is through growth, but that comes through twists and turns and ups and downs. And hopefully the desire and, and by God's grace, we may cycle upwards towards God and not downwards in the self-pity anger, bitterness, resentment towards God. Having a linear view of grief uh, can endanger us from missing out on God's blessing of growth. A second barrier can be a faulty understanding of forgiveness. Sometimes we think if we express forgiveness to somebody one time and verbalize that once, there we're done with it. Again, not true to my experience. There are times where I have forgiven people and I've expressed forgiveness. I've looked them in the eye and I said, I forgive you for this hurt you've caused or this experience. But guess what? Sometimes those hurts come up again and I have to forgive all over again. Sometimes going for a run for me and empire mine is really a forgiveness journey. And I start out on my run and I'm feeling the hurt and anger of experiences uh, that I've carried again. And that three-mile run is basically a process of release. And I'll pray back through. I forgive this person for this. I forgive this person for that. And I name the people and I name the pain. And I pray it out and I release it physically as I'm running. And that release can come for you through journaling, writing that out. Recording, I forgive this person for. And if that's your way of doing it, do that. Or if it's exercise, some phys- but I do believe the act of writing or, you know, for me running, some way physically singing it, naming it, lamenting it through reading one of the psalms, that that is part of the process of release and ultimately living into forgiveness in an ongoing way. Other barriers to uh, that might keep us from experiencing this blessing of moving from mourning and weeping to, to laughter and joy could be filling uh, that void in unhealthy ways. In other words, when we experience a loss, let's say a, a relationship, uh, we lose a friendship uh, or we've lost a spouse. I mean, just an amazing grief or a child like I have, you know, there's a void there. And that void isn't just this empty space that's just going to stay. It's going to be filled with something. And the problem comes when we fill the void of that loss in unhealthy ways. And that can be through addictions. Where we seek to stuff our pain through looking at pornography. By eating more than we should. By, by just seeking to kind of suck in or absorb entertainment that just sort of covers over our, our pain and sadness. And one of the, the great avoidances of growing and blessing that can be experienced through our pain and hurt is by allowing those addictions to take hold. Jerry Sitzer said, Many people form addictions after they experience loss. Loss disrupts. And destroys the orderliness and familiarity of their world. And, and not just in terms of sin or things like that. I mean, think about COVID. <laughs> and it destroying the orderliness and the familiarity of their, our world. They feel such desperation and disorientation in the face of this obliteration of order. That phrase by Sitzer, just I just sat with that. I mean, we have, an ex- we have experienced an obliteration of order in the last year and a half, haven't we? In that, we, we, we can end up like almost going berserk with binges. You know, people watch about, talk about binge watching a show on Netflix or, you know, things like that. But unfortunately, it can be alcohol, drugs, pornography, other things that there's sort of this binge where you seek to take all this in almost to, to, to fill that void. And when we saturate our senses, unfortunately, with anything other than God, his word, prayer, community, seeking to live on mission for him, ultimately those things that we put in that place cannot bear the, the strain of life. And the long-term consequences of loss and trying to, to respond to the loss in those ways will only lead to further loss other ways that we might miss out on the blessing of God's kingdom and moving from from mourning and weeping to joy and laughter can be unhealthy expectations. You know, we expect that, you know, after a month or so we're going to have moved on after losing a job. Well, that may not happen in that specific time frame. It may take more time for you depending on who you are and and what that loss has meant for you. And sometimes we can also, I'll say, compare losses. And I've actually had people that have come up to me and said, you know, Mike, you've experienced the greatest loss in the loss of a child. And usually my response is this, yeah, I I wouldn't wish it upon anyone. It was incredibly painful and incredibly difficult. But I assume that your losses are also significant. And the loss of your pet, who may have been your primary companion, could have impacted you in very significant ways also. The loss of a spouse, the loss of a job that you found your identity in, all those things can very easily knock us off course and off of the foundation God wants us to have. My own experience is one of tremendous mystery and tragedy, but it's also one of grace and redemption. Because I can honestly say that even though the losses that I've experienced over the course of my life, including my daughter, still still hurt at times, they're still mysterious to me, there's also times where I hear the gentle whisper of my daughter's laugh, and I smile. I remember that whenever I play guitar, and I don't play guitar very well, the first strum, she would just start giggling like Crazy. <laughs> It just had this joyful laugh and abundance. I've experienced times of the last couple of years where there's been deep hurt in relationship, but there's also been amazing forgiveness offered and, and, a, and a commitment to stay connected in the midst of our mutual pain and sorrow. You see, losses in life don't have to diminish us. They don't have to destroy relationships. They don't have to separate us from God. They can actually be the very experience through which we grow and mature in our relationship with God if we keep God and his kingdom central. Tim Keller says it this way, Only when our greatest love is God, a love that we cannot lose even in death, can we face all things with peace. In other words, one of the gifts of grief, and it certainly does not seem like a gift initially for sure, is the gift of coming to the end of yourself or losing those false sources of security and identity so that you receive the real true security and identity that only comes in relationship with God. And whether it's the whether the Giants beat the Dodgers this week <laughs> or whether it's something going well for me in ministry, how well my son does in a cross country. I mean, I can put a sense of security or identity or my joy in lots of different things. And ultimately, everything else will fall short other than God and his kingdom being our source and our center. But if we allow God to comfort us in our struggles and trials, if we allow him to minister to us, we can grow and mature and we can move from places of weeping and mourning to places of joy and fullness. Second Corinthians 1 says it this way, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. So in other words, this movement and blessing in the kingdom of God of moving from mourning and griefing and loss is both for us in our own need for comfort and encouragement, and we all need that. But guess what? It is not just for us. It's for us to experience so that we can then give it away. Because there's a lot of people out there that need comfort and encouragement right There's a lot of people out there who need to know that there still can be blessing in life, that life can be good again, even though it's going to be different than it was before. One of the great challenges right now is honoring the fact that things are not going to go back to the way they were pre-COVID. Man, I wish they would. There are things that I would love to have back pre-COVID that I know just aren't. But I don't want to get so stuck in that that I miss out on the blessings now. And as a church, that's going to be critical for us. Because we need to grieve and mourn our losses. Every Sunday, there are people I miss. But I don't want to miss out on the blessings of what this church and what we as people can become by getting stuck in the loss of what was. So my encouragement to you is lean in. Lean in to the growth and maturing that is possible when we lament our losses and our griefs. Know that there can be fruit born from these difficult experiences, the fruit of the spirit of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control, that God can birth those good qualities and that many of the blessings that Jesus is kind of referring to here are about our own growing and maturing through those experiences. So I want to ask you in closing, what blessings have you found? in times of mourning or grief? How have you grown through your losses in life? How might God be calling you to be present with someone in this process of seeing the blessings in their grief and loss and turning their sorrow into joy? For as was referred to in Psalm 30, weeping may remain for a night, and it does, but joy can come in the morning. And my hope and prayer for each one of us is even as we continue to be fellow strugglers in the process of grieving the losses of life, we may more and more lean into Jesus and find the joy that comes from Him. Amen? Amen.
0: Give love. to pray Thank you. We come to you in thanksgiving this morning. We thank you for days like this, God, and the beautiful place we live. So many blessings in our life, God. We thank you for your breath in our lungs, God. Worship you God for these things. We'll shout your praise, our hearts will cry, these bones will sing, great are you, Lord. Yes, all the earth will shout your praise, our hearts will cry, these bones will sing, great out your praise our hearts will cry these bones will sing